All right. Um, and now it is uh, – all right. Oh, before we introduce the speaker, uh, we would like to remind you that all speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the convention, Region 2, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And please help me in welcoming our speaker for this evening, Christian from Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Christian, compulsive overeater. Um, wow. Uh, to qualify, uh, my top weight is 510 pounds. Um, I've lost over 270 pounds in program. But I'll always say the more impressive thing is I, I gained my life. I got a life. I'm not surviving anymore. I'm not just surviving my life and surviving, thinking, what's the next meal? When's the food going to be in me again so I don't have to feel anything? Um, I was very, I'm very talented. I, I was a very, very talented person at anesthetizing myself so I didn't have to feel anything. Um, and I could say in recovery, that's one of the hard parts is once, once you put down, uh, once you put down the fork as people, I would hear people say in the past, but once you put down your drug of choice, you, um, suddenly I had to, I have to learn how to deal with my emotions. Like, well, like an adult. And I, I always think like two and three year olds learn to do that very young, but I was a compulsive overeater from the very start. Um, I used to sneak food. My dad was ex-military and he also was an active alcoholic when I was growing up really active alcoholic and uh um he would grill like he would search me for food like if he thought i got into cookies or cheese or anything and so i learned there are places he wouldn't check (laughs) not great places but but, um and everything was always wrapped (laughs) but That I had to, uh, that I had to, that I learned to hide because I had to hoard food in my room because I felt like I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't have any peace if I didn't have that food to eat at night before I went to bed. Because I, I lear- I've learned um, in recovery, I've been in program for 14 years. Um, I have 13 years of abstinence back to back. And I'm grateful for every minute of it, uh, because it's not something I've done alone. I had an amazing sponsor um, who had really took me through, uh, the, really put me through the paces, immediately had me joining a, a, what, in L.A., we have an OA birthday party, which is the big event down there. And he, in my, I wasn't even a year of recovery, and I was, he had me join the birthday party committee. And I was talking about this earlier, that boy, being on a committee – as a newcomer, we'll teach you a whole lot about yourself. <laughs> and yeah, a lot, it, I had to learn tolerance because at that stage, I was still very angry. I was very angry, very bitter. I didn't have any light in my eyes. Um, I've had um, some long-timers who have known me since I came in and are, go to Serenity Sunday, which is one of the larger meetings in L.A. I've had them approach me, and God bless them. You know, I just love... I love I love long timers. Um, I envy them a little too. But I, I, I just 
they walk up to me and they say things that I don't even know if I would say yet to anyone. But they tell me, you know, you were so horrible when you came in. I mean, literally, they straight face, right eye to eye. They go, "You were so horrible." They go, "You were, you were an, you were just, you were phony, you were fake, you were a liar." They go, "You were just." They go, "You were mean." They go, "I mean, I've heard it." I, and they say this to me like these are multiple people. But good thing is, you know what? That's not who I am today. So I love hearing that. Tell me how horrible I was when I came in because I'm not that person today. That's the hope in this program. That you, when you find recovery, and as recovery continues for you, that you don't have to be the person you were. You don't have to be angry every day. You don't have to wake up cursing the fact that you woke up. I used to wake up and curse every day. Every day started off with a curse and, and just frustration like, ugh, another day. Another day. Today, I look at it totally differently. Today, I wake up and I go, I've just accomplished my first accomplishment of the day, I woke up. Because there are sure a lot of people who did not get that privilege today and every day. And I'm so grateful to my higher power for that, that I woke up. And I get to wake up with an accomplishment. I'm already done. I already did something. So I get a positive start to my day as opposed to uh, the, the way I used to start. I can't even imagine starting my day the way I used to. And I have my moments. I'm not perfect. I still don't wake up easy. I'm not saying I'm a morning person by any stretch of the term, but I still, I'm able to have that hope, that light inside of me that has been a blessing and a gift. Um, I came from, I come from an environment where I was never told I did a good job. I was never told I did anything good. Everything I did was criticized, heavily criticized, and usually wrong in some way. If I got an A minus for a grade, why didn't I get an A? If I got a B plus, why didn't you get an A minus? It, it kind of weird, but it was never, I was never good enough. And so I grew up thinking I had to, I wasn't good enough for anything. And I didn't feel, and you know, that's a very unhealthy form of love. I know in hindsight, I know that was my father and my mother, well, not really my mother, but my father's way of expressing love because he didn't have very good training himself. And we only are able to work with the tools we have. I had a very combative and physically violent relationship with my father growing up. Uh, we, were, we were not good friends. We were not buddies, even though to the rest of the world, everyone, my, friend, my own friends would tell me, your father's so sweet. He's so nice. And I, even now, I'm like, wow, that was, took a lot of work. to. Even back then, that's where the eating came in. That's where I needed to be numbed, to where I could smile and say, yeah, he is. He's really great. He, you know, he, he's, he's fun, and I'm glad you like him. Uh, I roll my eyes. I'm like, oh. Um, but it, it's so hard for me now. I couldn't lie like that now because I don't, I'm not numb to it. And it's not part of my recovery to, sit or, to, to make up stories about anything. I'll be, I, if something's wrong, I'll tell, I'll tell someone. I'll tell my partner, uh, you know, this is what's wrong. This is what's happening. And um, I, don't, I don't have a lot of good filters for that because I've, I went from being completely phony, fake, you know, keep it in the house was always the rule. And I, think, I, know that's, I know I'm not terminally unique with that upbringing. You know, everything stays in the house. We don't let anyone know there's anything wrong with our family. We don't let anyone know that dad drinks continuously from, you know, when he gets home from work to when he blacks out. And, I, oh, I'd wait for him to black out. Because then I could really go crazy in the pantry and get everything I wanted. And I'd have to still tiptoe by him because, boy, 
for being blacked out with alcohol, he sure had good ears. He would still wake up and hear me if the floor creaked. And just like in movies, we had a, floor, a spot in the floor that creaked every time. Um, so I had to learn to tiptoe around that. Um, one of the great blessings, I went to an OA meeting um, when I, I – well, I'll, I'll – a meal for me when I was in Northern California I – I grew up in Dublin – uh, just down the road here, a few hours away. And um, so I'm a Northern California person at heart. <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I was living in an apartment, and I used to go to Burger King, oh, and I used to order, you know, whoa, God, it's even hard to say. Um, it's just hard to say because it's, it's remembering what I did and the feelings. Um, I would order like four double whoppers with cheese, uh, the super sizes back when they had the king size, super size things. And I'd get everything king size, super sized. And then I'd talk about my kids and my wife at home who's waiting for all this stuff. Um, I'm a gay man. I'm not married. I have no children. <laughs> so uh, I was really making stuff up. I always say I, my sweat of truth comes out. Um, I, uh, I, uh, and I'd go home, and that would be one meal. That would, that would barely satisfy me. And I'd always go out and get more. And I remember that was my whole life. I'd get home from work. I'd run to the drive throughs whichever one sounded the best for that evening, and then go home. I had cabinets filled, cabinets that were like three, three levels high to the ceiling, filled with food. I didn't know that. Because until I moved out of that apartment, I never knew. That apartment was so stocked, a family of five could have lived off that in a major earthquake or dramatic event and been fine. And I remember when I was packing it, because my company um, transferred me down to Southern California, and they, uh, I was packing, and I was just packing box after box of canned goods and, and packaged goods. And I go, where did all this food come from? I asked that. Because the movers were going, do you want us to move all this? You want to? You're, you're going to take it? And I ended up donating it um, to uh, I can't remember which. I think uh, it was the, our church. It was my parents' church. Um, I donated the food to their pantry, and I, it was a good donation. I actually needed a truck to get it over there. <laughs> um, I'm someone who was spending four hundred dollars a week at the grocery store buying food and buying buying food because I, I thought that was normal. I don't think I spend 400 bucks in a month now or even longer. Um, but it's one of those things like that was my comfort. That was my protection. Um, I wasn't there. So when I moved down to Southern California, um, I realized when I, I moved into an apartment and my furniture was somehow between San Ramon and L.A., the moving truck got lost. It's a pretty direct route, but... <laughs> Somehow he got lost, and he was like two days delayed. So I was in an apartment with no furniture. But I did have my work laptop, so I connected to this mysterious thing called Wi-Fi. And it was new back then. That's how old I am. Um, it was new. And I connected to it, and um, I found a way, of course. I found delivery options and got things delivered to me and um, had things brought. And that second night in this little two-box apartment, I woke up on my second day there, and I was surrounded by a ring of garbage. 
there were pizza boxes, there was just trash. It was just garbage. And I'm a re- I tend to be a neatnik, so it was really gross for me to wake up that way. And I'd never blacked out on a floor before, even though I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a bed. But I'd never, I just never realized till that moment that I thought, I remember that's the first time I said, there's something wrong. Not with me. I didn't say there's anything wrong with me. But I said, there's something wrong. And I realized, I, this is, other people aren't, other people don't live like this. I said, they just can't. Because I, I don't see my friends with garbage on the floor when they wake up. I don't see it around their beds or their home. So I decided, I had heard of OA. I had tried a meeting in my hometown, and it was three, uh, three, three beautiful and gracious housewives um, who really just spent the hour complaining about their husbands. And, they, and understand, they, this was in a pretty wealthy area, so their complaints were pretty first-world problems. And, and I, you know, again, I'm not married. I'm, I don't have the issues. So I felt like, oh, this is never going to work for me. And there were, I don't think any of them had any abstinence yet. Um, and that was the unfortunate, you know, I kind of lived out in suburbia, and the, the meetings just weren't a lot out there. Um, come down to L.A., which is a totally different story. I think there's like 50 meetings a day you could choose from. It's Valhalla for that. Um, you, uh, I, I had said I, I didn't have a good relationship with my higher power back then. You know, I'll just say God was my enemy. I always pictured him as like Zeus with the lightning thing and just zapping me every chance he got. You know, anything that went wrong with my life was, of course, not my fault. It was God's fault. And God hates me and God this and God did this to me. I was a, an expert victim. And I, with all that, I still told God, if I'm meant to go into this program, I need to find a meeting in the gay part of town, West Hollywood. Um, it needs to be filled with men and all the wrong priorities, of course. Um, and it needs to be at, you know, easy to get to. Like, I need to be able to find it because I didn't know my way around L.A. Well, sure enough, I found the meeting, but it wasn't I – didn't, I didn't let the reins go to God. I had the reins because, you know, when I control things, that's when nothing goes right. I've learned that in my recovery. I am not a great, I am not good, and I'm certainly not a god. So I, I know when I let go of things, things go well for me. And the first meeting, I, I go to this place called the Log Cabin. It's a fairly well known in LA. It's in right in the heart of West Hollywood, literally a block away from some all the all the clubs. And I walk in and I see this large ring of people. And I walk in and I go, hmm. And I go, this isn't what I wanted because it was a ring of women. All women. And I go, this is West Hollywood. There's not supposed to be women. I I had this weird view, a very weird view of what it should be like. Duh. Um, And I'm not a misogynist. I love women. So it wasn't like I I was insulted in that way, but I was just like, this isn't what I wanted. This is not what I said. Even though I didn't ask anyone. It was me. Um, And by by the grace of God, these women let me join them. Because it was a woman's focus meeting. I learned that after the fact. <laughs> they did not have to let me stay. But I think they saw a desperate, angry, uh, very unhappy person walk into, that, walk into that room. And after that meeting, I, of course, immediately binged. And went and did everything. Because it wasn't what I wanted. It's not going to work. OA is never going to work. Well, I woke up the next day. I, well, I woke up from my blackout again the next day on the same spot on the floor with more garbage around me. 
And I said, I'm going to have to give this one more try. And I say that was my higher power. Even though I didn't believe in him, and I thought that I was being victimized by my higher power, still was carrying me, still was holding me up. And I said, I'm going to try and find another meeting. But this meeting has to be within two miles of where I'm at. I mean, I had specifics. I found this meeting. It's a Thursday night, 100-pounders focus meeting, which I definitely was 100 pounds or more overweight. Um, And it was at a Methodist church, which I didn't like, but I said, I'm still going to go. My feet burn a little. That's okay. And, uh, And they didn't, of course. I walk into that room. It's a little, little, little classroom, and I see all women. And and then uh, then I notice there's a gentleman in the back, and I'm like, oh, okay. Of course, not a gay gentleman. It didn't matter at that point. It was just I just walked in here. There's a guy here besides me, and I sat in the back, and, and there was this woman Elizabeth at the door. God bless her. She was the greeter. And greeting for her was a hug. I wasn't touchy-feely in that time frame of my life. And she gave me a bear hug I couldn't get out of. Like, I was like, I didn't want to get out. But I have to admit, something in me broke when she gave me that very firm hug. And it wasn't a rib. It was, she gave me that switch. Some switch got thrown and I said, whether I like it or not, this is, this is where I think I have to be. And then I met this, what, I, what some people used to call the, the council, the, the panel of women, these beautiful, amazing women, with some with very long-term recovery, many with long-term recovery, along the, the one wall. And they welcomed me. They hugged me, which I didn't like, but I love it now. If I see them, I hug them. And unfortunately, not all of them are with us anymore, which saddens me. But they are, they were, they started me in my OA program. They, they welcomed me with open arms and they loved me when I couldn't love myself. And that was a miracle. And from there, I found another meeting. And that night, I had instructions. The only person I'd use as a sponsor had to be a gay man who had a story similar to mine, which I didn't think could happen because I was terminally unique. You know, I was, I'm special. And the guy sharing at that meeting was a gay man, and he literally told my story. But he was, you know, 20 plus years into recovery, so he was way down the road from me. And I remember sweating more than I am now, and, um, and shaking, visibly shaking. I, like, very unsteadily approached him after the meeting and asked him if he'd sponsor me. And he said, why? I didn't know how to... I'm like, why? And I go, because I'm supposed to have a sponsor. And he goes, no. He goes, what is it about me that you think that you think you want? And I go, well, you're not fat. <laughs> and and he's like, okay, thank you. And he goes, what else? And I go, well, you, I, I could relate to what you said, what you shared. I, I, I got. And he goes, okay, call me at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> and I certainly didn't want to call him at 7 in the morning. But you know what I did? By the grace of my higher power, I called him. And then after that, we changed it to a nighttime call. Um, <laughs> but it, it, the thing was, if I didn't call him exactly at 7 a.m., because he told me, don't call me late. Call me exactly at 7. 
I now have no hindsight that was actually a little test. Like, how committed is this person to recovery? How much does he want this? And if he doesn't want it enough to wake up, on, wake up and call me on time, then he, he's not ready. He's, at least I'm not ready to sponsor him. And um, by the grace of God, I've been blessed with, with, all, with 13 years of abstinence and 14 years in program. My first year was smoke and mirrors. That's what I call my smoke and mirror phase. Um, during that time, I was telling him, I'm abstinent, I'm abstinent. I kept gaining weight, getting, getting bigger and bigger. I'm abstinent. And I took a big trip with uh, six friends to the Olympics in Athens and, uh, in 2006. And uh, this big trip. And, uh, you know, we went to, um, went to a restaurant one night. And this is how I lost my abstinence, my first very fake abstinence. Um, <laughs> We went, we went to a restaurant, and I had, I had a drink that was disgusting. And my friend, Tony, uh, not, any rush, no, not, not in program or anything, just a friend who happened to be named Tony, uh, he was an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. And, of course, me being a quote-unquote recovering uh, compulsive reader, which wasn't true um, at that time, uh, he had a Sunday that he just thought was gross. A Sunday that's gross? <laughs> anyway, um, we're in Greece. I look at him and I go, hey, do you want this? And he goes, sure. And he goes, do you want this? And I'm like, yes. And we both basically broke, he broke his sobriety that night and I broke my, what? well, I broke a very fake abstinence, but I broke my abstinence. And we exchanged our drugs of choice with each other, nonetheless. So I came back and the first thing I was told to do was, Tony goes, you have to stand up, and this is my sponsor, Tony, said you have to stand up in front of, all these people at Serenity Sunday, which at that time was really crowded. It was like 200 people. And you have to tell them what you did. You have to confess because that's the only way you're going to move on. And you know what? By the, again, it worked. And I didn't have to go through a long uh, relapse period, but that is a miracle. Um, I got on board and I took, I, I said, this is what I got. That's what I have to do. And now, I remember I went through sponsees like crazy in the beginning when, I, when he first told me I'm ready to sponsor. Um, I went through sponsees because I was telling, you know, I was their higher power and I wanted to tell them how to do it. And, you know, I didn't have hardly any idea. And I also learned that, you know, weight loss was a side, it, weight loss is not the sole goal of this program. It's wonderful when we lose the weight. It's wonderful to be, I love being lighter. I love fitting in airline seats. I love shopping at a different store than I used, different stores than I used to. But that's all fine and nice, but without, this, without my insanity being under control, without my crazy head being in recovery, it really wouldn't have meant a lot. Like, I was not meant to lose weight right away. I know some people are. Some people are blessed with that, and I've heard some of this, those very people tell me it was kind of a curse, too. Um, but that I didn't lose weight for a long time, and it was, I was very angry about that at times. But I was always reminded that we lose weight at God's speed. And as long as I let my higher power, I let God control what I'm doing, where I'm going, how I'm doing, things go really easy for me. My life goes easy when I'm able to take a breath and step back. Now, I take action. This is a program of action. It's not a program of, oh, let God be the pilot. I wish. But it's like I take actions and I leave the rest up to God. And I, I always remind myself, it's, I'm not, uh, the results are not up to me. I take, a test to get, I take a test to get certified. I do everything I can to prepare for that test. I go in and take it. Whatever the results, 
It's not up to me. So I get to leave without that pressure. Because my whole life prior to recovery was I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. Because everything was my responsibility. Everything fell onto me. And it, it doesn't have to. I, I'm so grateful that I was shown a different path. Like today, I don't carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. Today, I don't care that a kid was kicking my seat the entire flight here. I don't mind that they were screaming at the top of their lungs the entire flight here and that their mother did absolutely nothing to change that. I'm okay because you know what? I, at the end, I smiled at her and I, not fake. I was legit. Like her kids were adorable. They're brats, but they were adorable. And it's regrettable that, that she didn't control the situation, but that's life. That's living life on life's terms. Sometimes you don't get to control other people's kids. Now, I'm, a, I'm also, I was a school teacher, so I did get to control other people's kids for a little bit. Um, but, but I could always say, in general public, I've been blessed with the fact that I don't feel I need to anymore. I don't need to say anything. Now, I may say something to my partner that's not so nice about them or the situation, but that's in confidence. That's not like I'm saying it to them anymore. That's what my old modus operandi was. I used to say horrible things to people right to their face and think, oh, I'm just being honest. I'm helping them. I'm changing their life for the better by being honest. And that was, whoo, is that a pile of dung if I've ever, ever seen it? Um, I was very angry, very, very dark. Um, people now tell me in LA who've seen me, Oh, you have a light in your eyes now. You know, the same long timers who tell me how horrible I was also counter that with, you know, you have a light in you now. You're not just physical, but you're, you're, you're a spirit. You have a spirit now. And you get up and you tell the truth. And you tell people the horribleness, the ugliness. You know, I had a lot of ugly in my life. But I'm not unique. Again, I've heard stories that made my toes curl in meetings. So I realize I'm not unique. And I certainly don't have the worst story or the hardest story. But I'm so grateful that, I've, that, that you, my fellows, have been willing to show me a different path, that I didn't have to stay in the same lane on my, high, my life highway of misery and pain and suffering, and that, it's, that whatever I was feeling, it's okay, and that it's hard right now, it's okay, that I'm sweating this much, which still bugs the heck out of me, it's okay, you know, because my body's working, and I st- I've paid prices for the wreckage of my past, I've had a herniated disc. I've had other physical, physical things go on. But you know what? I'm grateful I've gotten through them. I'm blessed I have medical insurance. So I'm able to go to the doctor. I'm able to see a doctor. I have a chiropractor. I'm blessed. Like, I, I used to think I was so cursed. And I thought I had nothing. I always thought I didn't have enough. And I do. This program has given me a life. It's given me the ability to be in a loving relationship with another person. That's a miracle because, man, I couldn't live with myself. I had trouble doing that. I'd look in the mirror and I'd just venom and hate for the person looking back at me. And I will say this is one unique exercise that my sponsor also had me do in the early days was stand in front of the mirror, stripped down, completely nude, stand in front of the mirror, a full-length mirror, not the chest-high mirror in the bathroom, but the full-length mirror and look at my body, how it was, and start touching the parts I hated the most about it and say, thank you for functioning. Thank you for, for working. Thank you for not malfunctioning. You know, he goes, you have to, you have to be thank, just thank your, thank your body for working and thank, thank your higher power that it does work. And I have to admit, as hard as that exercise was and as kind of gross, I thought it was pretty gross. 
because I didn't like what I was seeing in the mirror at all. I realized that taught me that I didn't, I stopped seeing myself as so gross and ugly and grotesque in the mirror. I started seeing a human being in the mirror and someone that was kind of maybe worth liking and meaning me liking myself, not anyone else liking me, but me liking who I see in the mirror. Cause that was one of my greatest challenges. I didn't realize I hated myself. I hated myself venomously. And I punished myself all the time with judgments and, Oh, doing, doing, taking actions that weren't healthy for me. And I realize now I, now I can look at myself and say, I love you. I'm so grateful that you function. I'm so grateful. I don't have a congenital issues and that the, the one or two things that I wreckage from my past is nothing that can't be dealt with and can't be managed. And that's the hope. I realize this program is, it's given me hope. It gave me hope that I could be better and that I could live a better life and that I could have a life that's worth living and that it doesn't require my dad, my mother, my aunts, my uncles, my families, my friends, even my fellows to approve of it. It only takes that I take the good work that I'm listening. I'm not going by my will that I say, you know, not my, you know, my will not, you know, don't do my will. I want to do God's will. And I always say, just let me know what it is and I'll follow the path. I'll do my best. I'm not perfect. I certainly don't always follow the path, but that's when things don't work out well. So I've learned very much so things do not work out well when Christian does Christian's path. Um, I've, it's, it's been amazing. It's just been the miracles that have happened in my life and the miracles of being able to forgive my father for all the abuse. And there's, as I've been in therapy for the last few years, there's more abuse there than I ever knew. And being able to forgive him and forgive my mother for just standing by and letting it happen and just watching it happen. And not literally, but figuratively watching it happen. I had to learn. I've learned to forgive them. And I, let, I let it go. I was able to surrender that to God. Let that be on God's shoulders. And now I get to walk freely. I can love my parents cleanly and say I love them. And I take care of them. I make sure they're being cared for. They both have extreme dementia now. Um, and I, I'm proud to be able to say I'm their son and I'm, I'm there for them. And I have, they have friends who criticize me that I'm not there enough physically, that I'm not in Northern California enough. And yes, that angers me a bit because I don't like being judged like that. But also it reminds me, it's not, it's not about me. Those people are really complaining about themselves and that it has nothing to do with me, and that their opinions are none of my business. Thanks for letting me share.